All right. Good morning to everyone as we gather together uh, for another week separately, but together united in Christ. And as we get started today, I wanted to take a moment to share with you a little history of a song that we have sung before. The song is called He Giveth More Grace. And if you look at the history of many of the songs that we sing, uh, many of them have histories of trials and heartache that people have gone through that God has used greatly in their life. And this song is no different. Uh, it was written by a lady by the name of Annie Johnson Flint. She was born in 1866, and she was born on Christmas Eve in a small town in New Jersey, uh, welcomed by her parents, um, just a great Christmas gift for them and filled with joy. Uh, but the joy ended three years later when Annie's mother passed away, giving birth to her sister. Uh, her sister survived, but her mother did not. And uh, tragedy struck again shortly thereafter as her father, Mr. Johnson, who himself was suffering from an incurable disease, willed the children to a family, the Flint family, who would bring the, the children up, the two girls, in the Christian faith. It was at the age of eight at a revival meeting that Annie saw her need of the Savior and came to know Christ as her personal Savior, and she looked back on her on that time as a, a turning point in her life, even though it was just at the age of eight. Uh, she was known as a kind-hearted and merry person um, in her school. Everyone loved her, and even would gather with her friends to read poetry and then to work on it themselves. Whether by just her nature or early Christian experience, she was known as very cheerful and optimistic, always looking on the bright side of life. She was able to get much enjoyment out of life and always tried to look for, for the highlights. Her forward-looking, lifted-up head was characteristic attitude, and was typical of the courage that she was to manifest later in life. She certainly learned to endure hardship as a good soldier. After high school, she wanted to become a teacher, and she went to training to do so. But before she took her first position, she saw that she was really needed back home. So she went home and then later began teaching. It was in her second year of teaching that her health grew worse, and it became difficult for her to walk. Um, and she was soon had to give up her work. Um, she, over the next three years, saw an increasing helplessness, helplessness uh, due to arthritis. Um, and soon after that, her adoptive parents, the Flints, who had taken her and her sister in, both passed away. Um, all that was left was Annie and her sister. There was little money left. She was not able to work. Her sister was in poor health, and neither of them were had a whole lot going for them. It was in this time that Annie began to truly rely upon God even more so and truly sought to share um, with others in her time of need to try to bless them. She wrote many poems that were a blessing to others, and she always said that they were written out of a hope to... Uh, be an encouragement to others, not just out of her own pain. But when you read her songs and her poems, you really see 
that it was what God was doing in her heart in that midst of difficulty that really came to bless others. Um, she, needing to provide for her and her sister, began to make hand-lettered cards and decorated them. Uh, testimonies came from others blessing that they were to them. And finally, some of her poems were published in, in booklets, and she was able to get a little bit of money through that. It is a wonder that she was able to do all of this with her arthritis and her twisted fingers, but she was, she was able to do that. Her letters were rich poems, always bringing a touch of humor that was refreshing to people. She loved to give to others, but was reluctant to receive herself. Even though she suffered great times of trial and testing, eventually she, under, uh, she gained new understanding and learned how to share the hard times of her life with others who could not understand the hardship of theirs. She put into poetry the words that she titled, What God Hath, Hath Promised. Through those words and many others, she became convinced that God intended to glorify himself through her weakness and her earthen vessel. And like Paul, she gained real assurance and could say with the apostle, with the apostle, the promise granted to him, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. She could also say, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. She believed that God had laid a marvelous thing about Annie's faith was it never faltered in all her life. And she wrote the words that we have sung before that say, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiple, multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. She had a third verse that said, Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father both thee and thy load will upbear. And then the chorus, His love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundary known to men, for out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. So in this time, remind yourself, remind others that God's love has no limit, his grace has no measure, that God delights in giving to us in so that we might be a blessing to others. Let's have a word of prayer today. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that your love, your giving, your generosity is not limited. It is not bound in any way. And Lord, you desire to use each circumstance in our life to bring glory to you and your name. And that is our prayer today too, Lord, that just like you worked in Annie's life, that you would help us to be a blessing. Lord, help us not to lose the joy of life. Uh, you have placed many uh, blessings and joys, even in the midst of trial in our life, and we want to live each moment for you. Lord, we thank you for uh, the 
the joy of having the sun come again this morning, the, the promise that the sun will rise. Lord, we look forward to the day when we will be in your presence and we will finally have the fullness of joy uh, for ourselves by being in your presence. Lord, help us today that we might uh, have the joy of you filling our hearts and guiding our lives. In your name I pray, amen. Good morning. I am more and more convinced that God truly is in control of every detail of life. And um, just reading this morning the New Morning Mercies devotional for today, if you haven't read that, make sure that you read that today. It is It is spot on for us at this time. And thinking about, as we mentioned last week, thinking about God's design, that we are studying the attributes of God, um, just seeing this and being reminded our focus is on God and seeing that God is self-existent, incomprehensible, infinite, unchanging, all-powerful, all-wise, ever-present, and he is good, as we looked at last week. But we want to look at another attribute of God today, and we find it throughout the scriptures, and what a blessing it is, Old Testament, New Testament, it keeps coming up wherever we look. But in Second Peter chapter 3, and remember Peter's writing to believers that are being persecuted for the cause of Christ, they're being imprisoned, they're being martyred for the cause of Christ, and he's writing to encourage them, and and he says to them that there are people saying, where is the promise of Christ's return? We've heard about that all these years, but but where is it? And he says in verse 8, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The attribute, one of the attributes he calls out here, is that God is long-suffering. It's interesting, in in the Hebrew word that is used in the Old Testament, and we'll look at some of those verses in a moment, it means one that is, is slow to anger, and sometimes it's translated that. In the Greek word um, that is used, it is um, long to anger, slow to boil. We sometimes say a person has a short fuse when we're talking about the opposite, but this really means that it has a long fuse. It emphasizes God's restraint in the face of actions and circumstances that clearly would arouse his holy wrath. Even in the midst of that, God remains controlled, even when confronted with false teachings, bold-faced provocation. God is under control. God's long-suffering is that he is slow to anger, but also that he is slow to punish. We can be thankful for that today because were he quick to punish, um, none of us would be here today. But it's the power that he exercises 
allowing himself to bear with sinners, forbearing long in punishing them. It's this uh, self-restraint, and often associated with mercy, but at the same time, it is different. And so we look back throughout the scriptures and throughout history, and one of the first places that we see the long-suffering of God is in the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, that when mankind sinned, he didn't immediately destroy them. He allowed Adam and Eve to live a life of lengthy years. And we go on in the book of Genesis. When God had seen all of mankind was evil continually, in Genesis chapter 6, his long-suffering mercy raised up Noah, and long-suffering for 120 years, Noah was preparing the ark. That's a testimony to the long-suffering of God. And, and Peter alluded to that in First Peter chapter 3. He said, God was long-suffering for 120 years. God was merciful and long-suffering through Noah preparing the ark in which eight people were saved. But we go back to the book of Exodus, and Moses in leading the children of Israel. Last week, we looked at his goodness, and it's it's interesting to me, in the same verses that we looked at God's goodness, in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6, we find, again, God confirming his leadership to, to Moses, reminded him as he passed before him what kind of God he was. And it says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So God passed by, and he wanted Moses to be um, reaffirmed that God is a good God, but God is a long-suffering God. And Moses then, in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 18, in leading the children of Israel, and you can go back and, and look at that passage, he prayed, he said, God... I know you are a God that is slow to anger, a God that is long-suffering. We see that evidenced in the book of Judges. Over and over again, the book of Judges is uh, the children of Israel did evil. God brought judgment upon them. And then the children of Israel cried out, and God had mercy. And the children of Israel, we read then, after God raised up a judge, and and was provided uh, deliverance for the children of Israel, the children of Israel again did evil. And we read, 18 years, that's long-suffering. God allowed them to continue. And then the children of Israel cried out, and it may have been 40 years, it may have been 12 years, but all of that is a testimony of, of the long-suffering heart of God. In Nehemiah, 
Nehemiah was reminding the people in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 17. And he prayed to God and said, God, you are a God of forgiveness and slow to anger, one who is long-suffering. We find it throughout the book of Psalms. Turn with me, if you would, to, to Psalm 86. David understood the long-suffering heart of God. And in Psalm 86 and verse 5, excuse me, verse 15, we read, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. We serve a God who is long-suffering. Look at Psalm 103 and verse 8. For the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, that's the word long-suffering, and abounding in mercy. Psalm 145 and verse 8, it says the same thing. And we read it throughout. And in fact, this is one thing that the prophet Jonah knew and realized. You remember Jonah, the story of Jonah, the account of Jonah. And Jonah said, God, I knew if you sent me there to proclaim judgment, he said in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God and a God that was slow to anger. And I knew you would do this. And Jonah didn't have a right heart there. But he knew one thing, that God was very long-suffering. God could have justly and rightly destroyed every sinner the first time that we've sinned. Instead, he has patiently endured rebellion on behalf of we as sinners Rather than giving us eternal punishment, God continues even to this day to endure unbelief and rejection and hatred and blasphemy and iniquity while patiently allowing time for repentance. Of all the examples of God's almighty power, there is an interesting part about his power over himself that he is slow to anger. Now, long-suffering does not mean that God approves evil. God never approves evil. We read in Proverbs, these six things does the Lord hate, and he lists them beginning with pride and arrogance. So we can't take... Well, God hasn't judged this. God hasn't brought judgment on me, so it must be okay. His long-suffering is not an indication of approval of evil, but his long-suffering is to bring repentance. We read in, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 that it says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. He is long-suffering, and his long-suffering is there to bring us to repentance. 
We read in, in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, the, the kindness and the goodness of God is to lead us to repentance. Throughout biblical history and throughout all of history, when people repented, God had mercy. And God's long-suffering, we mentioned Jonah, God's long-suffering brought the Ninevites to repentance. In fact, the prophet Joel and many of the prophets would say and urge the people after they rebuked them for their evil. He said, now return in Joel chapter 2 and verse 13. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. So, God is loving, is long-suffering. God's long-suffering is not that he's winking at evil. His purpose of long-suffering is to bring repentance. But we must mention that God's long-suffering is not forever. We again go to the scriptures to see evidence of that. 120 years he was long-suffering, but he brought the flood. We read of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he brought judgment. We read of sending Israel into captivity. He was always very long-suffering in these instances, and he brought warnings before bringing the judgment. But there comes an end to the long-suffering of God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, we begin reading, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, notice what it says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. But you notice what it says. There is coming a day... When the long-suffering of God ends, and he is coming in judgment, in in fiery judgment, and in wrath. So, it is important for us. We we must value and appreciate the long-suffering of God, but we can't take it for granted. So, I want to make some application Of this attribute of God, number one, we should give thanks to God for his long-suffering. As a believer, how great has God's patience been toward you and I? In our unconverted state before we came to Christ, when we wandered from him and away from him in rebellion, yet his love was never weary. In pursuing us. Notwithstanding, we still rejected him, and yet he was long suffering 
to the point of bringing us to repentance. But think of it, even after you have come to salvation, how many times we have fainted in our faith? How many times we've grown weary and and our faith has had its ebbs and flows and 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 yet instead of just giving up on us, he is long suffering. Think about our sin. We can't fully comprehend the horrible offense to God's holy nature and that his justice cries out for for punishment, but at the same time, it is God's loving kindness that holds it back. It is his mercy and compassion delaying the punishment that we deserve. So we ought to daily, every day that we wake up, regardless of the circumstances, we ought to thank God for his kindness that, as Psalm 103 says, He has not dealt with me according to my iniquities. What a magnificent God is, as holy as he is, yet it's his long-suffering that allows us to live. But secondly, we need to listen to God's warnings during his long-suffering. As we said, his purpose is to bring repentance, and so he gives warnings. You read throughout Scripture, His long-suffering is filled with warnings. I believe with all my heart, God is warning not only our nation, but the entire world right now. God has been very long-suffering. We live in a world that demands the judgment of God. And it is only the long-suffering of God that we are still living. And and he is sending warnings to us, and I believe what we are currently experiencing with the Wuhan um, virus, that we are receiving a warning of God to every person on the face of the earth, to how fragile life is, how quickly life can change, that there is an eternity, that God is in control And God is speaking, but are we listening? During his long suffering, we need to listen. But not only listen, we need to personally examine our lives for ways to repent. Remember, the purpose of long suffering is to bring repentance. And I talk first of all to we as believers. We should be examining our ways And saying, God, show me my sins. Show me where you want me to repent. What I need to change. What I need to turn. It is time for we as Christians to repent of our apathy, of our idolatry, of our adultery, of our robbing God of what is due to him, of our immorality, of our pride, of our bitterness, of our greed, of our unforgiveness, of our self-centeredness, of our prayerlessness. We could go on and on. Yesterday, again, in the New Morning Mercies, it talked about our spiritual adultery, that we are all spiritually promiscuous, running from one love to another, and giving our loyalty 
to things other than God. And it went on and said, we are all spiritual adulterers giving away what belongs to God and belongs to him alone. It is time for we as Christians to repent. And if you're listening to this today and you have never trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, it is the long-suffering mercy of God that today calls you to turn from your own sin, your own rebellion, and call upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. He is long-suffering to usward. He is not willing, Second Peter says, that any should perish. It is not God's desire to send anyone to hell. He has offered the way of escape through Jesus Christ. And in long-suffering, he has allowed you the opportunity to hear the message of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And today is the day of salvation. Wherever you are, to call upon Jesus Christ, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me. Because his long-suffering will someday end. And those who have not trusted Christ, will be separated from him forever in the eternity of the lake of fire. And as a nation, we need to repent. We need to repent of our denial of God. I was thinking, I think all my life, our nation has been going away from God, from denying him as creator, teaching evolution as a fact, as a rather than a deceitful lie, we have been in rebellion against God, against God's design for government, God's design for marriage, God's design for the family. We have openly murdered um, God's creation of life. We embrace and approve immorality. Our pride as a nation is is a gross, gross violation of God. And we, as a nation, need to repent. As individuals, to repent, to come to Christ for salvation. As believers, to turn from our ways, to come to Christ. And as a nation. And so, God is speaking. He's using this to awaken us. But we also then need to go beyond that. We are called to imitate Christ. So we need to be long-suffering with others. We've memorized Colossians chapter 3. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. We need to be long-suffering. Some of you may need it a little more than others right now. You've cabin fever in the home. You may be getting a little upset. Put on the long-suffering of God, and it only comes as we walk in the Spirit. We need to be long-suffering with others that we don't immediately retaliate or have a desire to, to punish. We need to have a long fuse to be... Um, slow to boil, so to speak, to patiently bear with others. Think of it this. Think how God has 
patiently been forbearing with us. And we, in turn, have freely received, we can freely give. So, manifest long-suffering. And then, I just want to encourage you, warn others that the long-suffering of God is not forever. You know, I understand people are saying, we'll get through this and, and we'll come out stronger. Well, the fact of the matter is that we aren't guaranteed that long-suffering of God will bring everybody through this. We are guaranteed that God is in control. We are guaranteed that God is going to pour out his wrath upon mankind. We are guaranteed that in Christ we are saved from the wrath to come. But the majority of people on the face of this earth are going to know when the long-suffering of God ends. And the only escape of that is Jesus Christ. And if you are here listening or watching today and you know Christ as your personal Savior, you and I have a responsibility to warn others that the long-suffering of God is not forever. And if you're listening or watching today and you have not made peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, the long-suffering of God today is calling to you. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And in 1 John chapter 5 he says, He that has the Son, Jesus Christ, has everlasting life. He that does not have the Son does not have everlasting life. And he said, I'm writing these things unto you that you may know that you have everlasting life. You can know that you have everlasting life through faith in Jesus Christ. If we can help you in any way to settle that, please give us a call. We would love to help. You know the mercy of God. And as believers, it is our responsibility to warn others that the long-suffering of God is not forever. Rejoice today in how long-suffering he has been to you. Listen to the warnings that are all around us during his long-suffering. But look forward to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. And we can look forward to reunion with him because of his long-suffering that brings us to repentance. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for who you are. We thank you for bringing events into our lives as we are experiencing in our world today to show us what is, what is real. To show us what lasts. And Lord, I thank you for your long-suffering mercy that allowed this to enter into our world and truly is another message from you to try to bring us to repentance. Lord, I pray that it would bring Christians 
to repentance, that we would turn from our our wicked ways and turn to you as never before. I pray that it would bring unbelievers to repentance today as they understand that we have no control over our lives. And worst of all, to know that the wrath of you is already upon us because of our sin, but that you have sent your Son to forgive our sins and to set us free from the condemnation of our sin through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be faithful stewards of yours as believers to warn others, even as you raised up Noah to warn others, and you raised up Jonah to warn others, and you raised up the disciples, and Lord, you have raised us up for such time as this. May we be faithful, and we thank you today for your long-suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, we make it a custom to remind ourselves that we are in God's long-suffering right now, but that someday he's coming, and we close every service that we have by being reminded of that. I remind us that Jesus is coming again. And we say Maranatha, which means, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. We say that to remind us. So, I remind you today, Jesus is on the throne, God is in control, and we rejoice in his long-suffering, and someday soon he is coming again. Maranatha. Maranatha.